Let's consider the Word of God this morning. And uh, if you've got your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 3, and we're just looking at this one verse. Um, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I'm going to start with an apology, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come and look at some of these words. I didn't get to the bit about thankfulness. Um, if you've noticed carefully over the last three sermons, I've skipped the bit on thankfulness. Uh, this is not, I just didn't, didn't fit in. So next time, God willing, just going to focus on being thankful to God and what the scriptures say about thankfulness towards God. So um, something to look forward to. However, let's come and pray and ask God's help as we look at his word together. Almighty God, we thank you for the a way in which through your providence you have given us your scriptures, that you have preserved them through all ages, that you've translated them into the languages that we comprehend so that we may know your truth. Father, open our hearts to your truth this morning. In so doing, may we walk more closely with you, that we may delight in you more, rejoice in you more, and be able to portray you more, more clearly and more more. Uh, uh, more plainly to a watching world. So, Father, just bless our time this morning and that we may receive the truths that you are sitting here before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, whatever. Anybody heard that phrase used? Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I find it used quite commonly by teenagers, but not exclusively because they want to sort of sit there and you say, okay, get on with it. I'm over this. Um, they're almost words of dismissal. I'm, I'm tired of listening. And so they say, just whatever. Another way in which we can use the word is a little bit more enthusiasm. Imagine if I said, as I might say sometime this week, um, I'm going to get some takeaways for tea. What would you like? And the word comes back, whatever you choose, Dad. Whatever you choose. I'll enjoy whatever you get. And, of course, that's a slightly different nuance. But here in this verse, we come across this word, whatever. And we need to sort of comprehend the kind of nuance that's involved with here. And as we look at this verse this morning, I want you to see that in this passage, we are called to do everything in a way that is in accord with the nature and the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, whatever you do. In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the Lord, one of the bigger contexts that we understand from this is that the Lord is the owner and ruler of everything. There is nothing in the whole cosmos that does not belong to God. And the second part of that is that he is with us everywhere. We are never out of his presence, nor is there any limit on our living as disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this mindset is to be counter in control of us in everything that we do. Let's just consider a few scriptures for a moment. We read earlier uh, in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's. Who does it belong to? Is there anything left out? No, so that everything belongs to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness or the completeness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. 
Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false or to swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And God not only is claiming ownership of the whole cosmos, the whole creation, he's also claiming the right to set the basic parameters of how we relate to him. Who is going to stand in the blessing of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Now we know from the rest of scripture that comes through faith in Jesus. But here he's making clear to us that he is the one who sets those parameters. <coughs> Excuse me. In Psalm 139, we, have, uh, we could read a lot of it, but he says, he starts off, he says, Lord, you have searched me and know me. He's talking about the knowledge of God. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in and behind, before and, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit and where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Not only does God own everything, he is everywhere. He is everywhere. There is no place in the whole of our existence where we are away from the presence of the Lord. He is with us in all things. And we find that there are so many passages in Scripture that we could point to which continue the same idea. But just one before we come back to Colossians. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul uh, preached, if you like, at the University of Athens. And he, he said to them, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they may feel their way toward and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul, in talking to these non-Christian peoples here in Athens, emphasizes the simple reality by quoting an insight from one of their own poets. Yeah, non-Christians, not always stupid. <laughs> they have some insights, but you put it all together and we start to understand what, what God has given to us. But he says, in him we live and move and have our being. It's simply the logic of understanding from, that follows from having a God who created all things. That level of power, that level of understanding and wisdom that he used in creating all things means that he is everywhere and there is no place where he is not. Now, some people might find this a burden to think of God as everywhere. If we are seeking to be away from God, that is most certainly the case. 
If we want to have a time out from following Jesus, then the idea that God is everywhere and with us in every moment may be burdensome to us. But if we understand how this truth really impacts upon us, it is the greatest comfort to us. The Lord is telling us that we are never outside of his knowledge of us, nor are we outside of his understanding of us, nor are we outside the realm of his power and authority, nor in all of this are we outside his love and grace. So my friends, just sit back and relax in the grace of God. You cannot surprise God. God knows you, and in Christ, he still gives his grace and mercy. He knows all my failures. He knows all my frustrations. He knows all the big and little ways in which I sin against him, even when I'm not aware of those things myself. And I can rest in the knowledge that I can never do or think anything that will surprise God that will somehow make him change his grace given to me. Never. He knows me intimately and still gives me grace. No failure of mine will ever cause God to withdraw his love and mercy. Nothing. So this truth in him we live and move and have our being is an overwhelming comfort to us. God cannot lose us. But there's a second truth involved in this too as we come to Colossians in just a few seconds. We cannot limit our service of God to certain times and places because we are never outside of the presence of God. He is, he is there as a complete part of our whole life uh, there is no secular, sacred split in the thinking of a Christian. Our calling is to follow, to follow Jesus is as true on Wednesdays and Thursdays as it is on Sunday. And just as the Lord God gives us grace in all, so our calling to follow and serve him extends to all, to all days, to all places. His calling to us to follow him is unconditional and without limit. Imagine that God said to us, you know, the converse of this, imagine if God said to us, I'll look after you on Sundays. The rest of the week, you're on your own. How many of us would survive? It would be a horrendous thought. Horrendous thought. Um, yeah, so, so we come to Colossians because Paul is writing the letter of Colossians into this big context of who God is in the Bible. We're not quite into chapter 3 yet. In chapter 1, let me remind you a few verses. Talking about the Lord Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And of course, Paul is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The one spoken about in Psalm 24, the Lord of glory, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who came into his temple. 
The one who in Psalm 139 who is with us everywhere is the Lord Jesus. The one in whom we live and move and have our being is the Lord Jesus Christ. I find that quite exciting and quite challenging to think about for a moment. Let's come back to Colossians chapter 3 where we have this verse given before us and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The translation starts off with this, whatever, whatever. What's he getting at? Well, the Greek word behind the word translated whatever is the Greek word pan. Now, we've come across this word. You've heard of the pandemic have we ever? <laughs> and this word pandemic, the word pan means all or everywhere. And hence the name, you know, it has been all and everywhere. And it's an amazing thing. I mean, it means all, but the word is used twice in this verse. And it's translated as whatever and everything. And these two words do differ. The first word is pan, the second word is panta. And it joins two words together, all things, which in our translation is translated as everything. Now, what's he saying? In all, we are to do everything. In other words, in all that we do, we are to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first word talks about the universality of this particular challenge, in all. And then the second one says, in all things, he is saying, in all detail, in every part thereof, we are to work and uh, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, in everything that we do. So there's no part left out of this particular calling. And here we have the amazing thing. In the scriptures we find God commanding the stars and the sun and the moon. And whatever he says, the whole of the cosmos snaps into line and complies with the command of God. He gives rain and sunshine, no arguments from the rain, no arguments from the sunshine, no dissent, no disobedience. The whole cosmos obeys the command of the Lord. There is no choice. Yet here, we are invited to respond to God's command as a matter of choice. A matter of choice. If we were compelled to do this, if it were beyond our capacity to disobey, then the command itself which we're given here would simply be irrelevant. Why command what you haven't got a choice about? Okay, Eat your vegetables. And you could say... No. Or, in practice, just practice no. And, of course, it's very hard to compel them to eat your vegetables. But there's a choice involved. God so endows us with this amazing power. And I think it's part of what is meant when we go back to Genesis of being made in the image or the likeness of God that we have this power to choose to serve and honour the Lord Jesus in everything that we do. And this is high honour. 
This is a steam beyond imagining that our God so places value upon us that he does not compel obedience, but he calls us to respond in obedience. We find that perhaps we can discuss angels at some other time, but there is no other thing created in the whole of creation to which he has extended such high honour and value. The rocks are going to stay rocks because God commanded them to be rocks. No choice, no change, that's it. And just as God in his sovereign power rules in every part of our being and life, and so he calls us to live as his in every part of our being in life. And so he says, whatever you do in all things, he says, in word or deed, in word or deed, no limit. We can't compartmentalise our service and our following of Christ. It applies to our whole life. And this following of the Lord Jesus embraces our words. I think it embraces our spoken words, but also, as we'll see elsewhere, our internal words, our thoughts. And as the outworking of those thoughts, our deeds. These are the visible actions that flow from what is really in our hearts and minds. Our total being is to be given over to the service of the Lord Jesus in this way. Now think about it for a moment. Why do you follow Jesus? Now there's lots of reasons. So I'm forgiven my sin. It's a great reason. So that I can go to heaven. But the bottom line for many of us is simply that we want to follow Jesus because we want to. God has so worked his grace in our lives to transform us into this place where we want to obey God's command. Because for some reason, here we find our greatest happiness, our greatest joy, the greatest fulfillment in our lives, even in the midst of the frustrations of living in a fallen world, to walk in fellowship with God, to walk in obedience to God, is something that we want and something we want to do. It's a whole lot more than mere obligation. We are presented here with the supreme privilege of consciously walking as God's people in every moment of each day that we may fully express in our own experience the truth and reality of living and moving and having our being in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to actually um, do this? Well, here we have the difference between compulsion and chosen obedience. Compulsion means no choice. It means to fit in without there being any choice involved. Compulsion is like obeying the law of gravity. While we may use other physical laws to overcome the effects of gravity, because some of us have been on aeroplanes and survived, okay, gravity was overcome but not cancelled. Just as we have an aircraft, gravity is still there still has its effects on us. We have no choice in that. We are, not, we are under compulsion. God doesn't suspend the law of gravity just so I can get home easy. In our obedience to Jesus, the world may place pressure on us. But however the pressure is applied, there is always a choice. Imagine for somebody to come up to you at some stage, as happened to many of our Christian brothers and sisters throughout the world, 
And a gun is applied to their head and they are told, curse Jesus or die. Pressure? Yeah. Compulsion? No. Because there's always the or else. There is always the or else. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 13, the apostle says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is always the or else. And just, just in passing, that word temptation can also be translated as testing. Testing. Placed under pressure. The whole world is going to pressure us and does pressure us to turn away from our obedience to Jesus. God says there is always the or else. He will make sure there is one. We are constantly facing choices how we are to live our lives as followers of Jesus. It is first of all a matter of the mind. These are the internal words that we are to deal with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Okay, He's talking about our spiritual battles as we walk in this world. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. This first starts in us taking every thought captive to obey Christ and being ready, as Paul says, to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now, I'm going to use an example that comes from my experience this week. I apologise. But I went fishing during the week. You sit there and you think, how could this possibly apply to a fishing trip? Well, I was thinking about it, and, uh, which is a good thing to do. How did it apply? How did being a Christian, how did honouring Christ change or affect what I did? Well, would you believe it? Most of the time, I travelled legally and safely. There were a few times where it stretched the boundaries a little, my apologies. But if I get a ticket, I figure that's something against me as a Christian. I didn't catch anything. I saw six fish, at least six fish, some from just a few metres away, but they were not interested in any of the lures I presented to them. Now, one thing I could have done was resorted to illegal methods of fishing. But the rules are there for a reason, and so I decided to stick with them because that is what Christ wants me to do. Imagine being hauled up before the courts and being charged with illegal fishing and the kinds of damage that that might uh, give to the reputation of God's people. Don't want to do that. Frustrating, but I don't want to do that. And uh, when I go to the river, I make sure that any material I take to the river, I bring home. Don't want to disrespect God's creation that God has made. Now, nobody else may see that. It doesn't matter. It's between him and me. And uh, if people see that I've trashed the place because I just couldn't care less, that's not a good sign either. And if I have the opportunity of catching the fish that I wanted to keep, I would take steps to minimise the suffering of the fish by dispatching it quickly, out of respect for this fish as a creature of God. And while he's given us the option of eating animals, it does not mean prolonging the suffering of any animal in the process. 
You see how being a Christian can actually impact even a fishing trip. Now, it's not that I agonise over this. You just think about it once and then work it through. And hopefully next time I go fishing, which hopefully won't be too long, I'll continue to apply it. Hopefully with more success. And finally, going fishing. I would not tell lies to take time off work so I can go fishing. Some do. It's amazing how many funerals are held on a riverbank. And... Uh, various parts of the family members that die yet again. Now, you may say it's obvious. Hopefully it is obvious. It's good. It's obvious. It should be. But in every situation we find ourselves in, or in every situation we could find ourselves in, the Lord calls us to use our minds and the understanding of his creation given to us in such a way that we know how to walk as Christians in that situation. Not easy. And at the heart of this command, the Lord gives us through Paul and there's this little phrase, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, what is meant by this? What does it mean to do things in the name of the Lord Jesus? We do it sometimes, consciously express it sometimes. Well, what doesn't it mean? One thing it doesn't mean is that we just sort of hang this phrase in Jesus' name off everything that we do. Now, we do use it commonly in prayer. Why? Can I pray for things which are not in accord with Jesus' person and character? Most certainly can. Some of you may have come across that uh, Joan Byers song, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? And you sit there and you think, I'm not sure I want one. But nevertheless, we can ask wrongly for ourselves, just for our own satisfaction or our pride, perhaps. So adding in Jesus' name basically means we're actually praying against that. And there's so much more than just a verbal tag that gets put on everything. And what is not meant also that it's some kind of blank check where we can command anything by using the name of Jesus. It's not a magic door opener or some all-powerful order form with Jesus' signature written on it. Something far deeper and more profound than that. And so what is meant by this is that all that we do, all that we say, we should seek to have it conform to all the truth that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is to conform to his righteousness. It is to conform to his mercy and grace. It is to be consistent with every part of the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we do is to fit. And we are to deal with and abandon anything which doesn't fit. Someone once said that we may be the only gospel people get to read. That our life, our living, our words may be the first introduction and perhaps the only introduction that some people have to the Lord Jesus Christ. We who are known as Christians who own the name of Christ need to be conscious that our words and deeds as followers of Christ will be the first indications to many of what Jesus is like. And they will read our lives and so regard Jesus and who he is from what they see in us. And this, this idea of the name talks about the reputation, the esteem or lack of which is held in the eyes of those around us. And it's a little bit scary, but it is real and never let us forget or ignore God's grace so that when we foul things up, it doesn't stop God from still working. 
But our goal, our calling, our intent is to as faithfully reflect the character of Jesus in our words and actions as possible. Our actions as we name the name of Christ in our lives. And I hope people know that you're a Christian because if they don't, they should. Listening to a guy this week and he says, we should come out as Christians. Interesting turn of phrase. But people should know that we are Christians. We're not to hide our light under a bushel. Right? You can tell that from Matthew 5. We are to be those who are known to be followers of Christ. But what we name... If we name the name of Christ in their lives, what we do will either enhance or undermine the reputation of the Lord Jesus in our lives. Let's just look at a couple of examples from history, one negative, one positive, and then we'll move on and finish this. You heard of the Crusades? Oh, horrendous. As people went to Israel under force of arms in the perpetration of what turned out to be much in the way of uh, atrocities and abuse of power, in the name of Christ, sought to uh, invade, take over the city of Jerusalem. And of course, it's been a negative example which people have pointed to ever since, saying, well, if they did that in the name of Jesus, I'm not just interested. Well, thankfully, it's not the whole story. You heard of the Salvation Army? Of course you have. And yet what a reputation they have because of their actions and their care for people and showing forth the love and the compassion of Christ. And of course, it's great that we can contribute in some small way to that as well. We are to serve the Lord in all parts of our lives. If we look forward in our text to where we're going to next. We've got, God willing, next time, talking about thanksgiving and being thankful as Christians. But if we look down the latter part of the chapter, Paul starts to apply this living to everything. He says, wives and husbands. Is that anything to do with the Christian life? Might do. Who established Christian, wives and husbands? Children. Oh, yeah, Parenting. Is there a particular way in which we are to be parents as Christians? Yeah. Fathers, you've got a job to do too. Because he's talking about how all these kind of roles that we have will be impacted by the fact that if we are Christians, we will need to approach it in a certain way. Then he goes on, of course, and talks about our workplace. Our relationships with those for whom we work, our bond, our earthly masters, and how that has an impact as well. There's one more thing that we need to be aware of here before we move off this passage. Again, Paul is saying that there is no divide between secular and sacred. For the Christian, everything that we do is to be offered in service of God. This means then that any activity that we can properly undertake before God is a way of real and genuine and deep spiritual service and worship to our God. 
This means then that standing up here preaching is not necessarily a more sacred or more special service to God than being a good mum or a good dad. Everything that we do can be blessed by God and can be a service to God. Now, there are some jobs which I would encourage you not to be participating in. So the actual job itself may be harmful to people, however we approach it. So that's wisdom. But in all those things which we would understand to be constructive parts of being part of the general community can be done in a way which honours God and way which brings worship to God in a way that pleases God. And I hope that my preaching also does that, but it's not restricted to that. There's no special vocation in a real sense, which means that what I'm doing is somehow better or superior to anything else that we do. In this day and age, mums and dads, being a Christian parent, such a major ministry to your children and to your family at large. So what's Paul saying here? He says, uh, coming back, go back. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. We're going to have to think. We are going to have to think. Have to think through. For example, particularly at the beginning of your family, what it means to be a Christian mum and dad. It's important. What it means now is, as, as people is, how can I be a Christian grandparent? Which is going to impact upon the children which uh, my children have. What does it mean to be part of the community, whether it be as a retiree or as a worker? How am I going to be involved in that as a Christian? And what impact can I have? So we need to think about these things, but be encouraged because we don't have to do all this work by ourselves. Because one of the truths is we're part of a Christian community. And it's not just a few dozen people here this morning. There is a bigger and wider Christian community to which God has given lots of wisdom. And we can draw upon that as we think through the various issues which face us. What is God calling us to do in our thinking, in our speech, in our actions, to bring everything that we do into conformity with the character and the reputation, the name of Christ. Then we will show the world the depths of God's grace and mercy and truth to be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. Ready for that? And just because you're old, you're not off the hook. <laughs> because wherever we are, we can serve Christ with who we are amongst the people that we're amongst. We have this opportunity. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the comfort of who you are that you are everywhere, that you will never forsake us, you will never leave us, you'll never lose us, that nothing can separate us from your love and your grace to be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. But Father, deep in our hearts, we want to know more and more of that walk with you, that obedience with you.
Father, you don't always find it easy and I know there's still a lot of thought and thinking and meditating and uh, considering to do. But Father, in all those callings that you've called us to and all those roles that you would have us play within our families, within our church, within our community, Father, may people see something in us of the truth of Christ that his character may be reflected in our actions and our words and our thoughts and that people may see in us something of your truth. Lord God, help us to be compassionate and kind and considerate neighbours. Help us to be those in our families who are caring and thoughtful and open to support. Father in everything, we want to know your power and your truth so that we may walk in your ways. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.